So the, the, the Last Supper, you know, when we, when we read it in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, okay, we, we read basically what I had just shared with you. But when you go to the Gospel of John, chapter 13 through 17, you have all these other things that occurred during the Last Supper. And um, I think that's where a lot of times, you know, people think, okay, Jesus, he took the bread, he broke it, he said, this is my body, he took the cup, right, he said, this is my blood. There are so many other dynamics that are going on with the Last Supper that, um, again, really apply to us and, and, and speak to our hearts. So it, it's, again, it's filled, it's just filled with wealth, the entire story of the Last Supper. It, it's a, an opportunity to really enter in and to put into practice and enter into a greater peace, a greater joy, a, a greater love in the Lord. So we, we started last week, we covered four things. I'm going to cover four things with you today. The first thing we looked at last week, this truly amazing, this is to me um, just such an amazing thing that Jesus did. It's, uh, it's mind-blowing and um, he washed the disciples' feet. This is God, the Creator. Elohim, the sustainer, the Lord of all, who was incarnate in Jesus Christ, became a man, and then washed the dirty, filthy feet of sinners. And he gives us this, and he says this is an example, that this is what we are to do. This is our purpose in life, to go and to serve other people, to minister to other people. Then the second thing that we looked at is the koinonia, the interaction between man and God and man and man. This, this thing koinonia, it's called fellowship, it's called communion. And it, it could be absolutely one of the most painful things in life and also one of the most joyful things in life, right? Think of most of the pain we experience as human beings occurs from what? From other human beings. And the greatest joys we experience as human beings occurs from what? From other human beings. So it, it is this very daring adventure that God calls us into this thing again called koinonia. And I'm really glad to see the church. The church is, is filled. And I'm glad for that. Uh, as we fill up the last remaining seats, we're going to have to now again begin thinking about going to another service. So I'm just very glad that you're coming out because what has happened in the church since COVID all across the United States... We are losing koinonia, and what we have is zoomonia. And so there are people today who stay home. Now look, if they're sick, God bless you. If you're, you're, you know, you have a hard time getting out of bed, we have people who are ill. God bless you that you're, you know, a part of our service today. We have people in other parts of the country who are watching. There's other parts of the world, and that's good. Um, but I would say to everyone, if you're not plugged into a church, that's not good. So we're really grateful that you're, you know, you're here and you're being a part of our service. I know that, look, a lot of churches are not preaching the gospel anymore. They're preaching little self-help messages, giving little antidotes. So uh, it's good that you're part, you know, partaking of us and joining in. But that is not koinonia. That is zoomonia. By the way, zoomonia took over in England... The church is dead in England. The church is dying in America. I, I hope you understand that. Christianity is that there are right now, for the first time since the start of the United States of America, there are less than 50% of people who claim to be Christians for the first time in our history at this time. 
So we are, we are becoming much more of a pagan. I mean, you can see that. <laughs> you see it with everything going on. But again, I see people that are so, they're, they're so offended at what's going on. Yet again, they're Zumonia Christians instead of Koinonia Christians. And I hope some of you are getting convicted right now. I'll say, that, I'll say this to you because you are a part of the problem. We need to meet together. And by the way, if you are truly a Christian, the Holy Spirit will be yearning in you for fellowship. I want to assure you of that. And if you don't have that yearning for that fellowship, I would stop and ask yourself, are you truly born again and are you saved and have the Holy Spirit within you? Because I can tell you this, when we get away from this fellowship and sometimes we're traveling, if I miss a Sunday, or I miss a Wednesday, and I missed, I missed some Sundays and Wednesdays when I, when I was battling this virus, my soul begins to yearn. And that's the spirit in me yearning for, for the koinonia in the church. And if you're not experiencing that, is the Spirit of God dwelling in you? Because there should be that yearning to be here. Right? We like to be here. We like to be together. We, we like to fellowship together with Bible studies, all the different things, the servant things that we do, the things we go out and do, the partnership, just meeting sometimes one-on-one with, with, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That again, that, that is something that the Holy Spirit, it yearns, He yearns for. So, again, they had koinonia and not zumonia. Okay? The Laodicean church, the last church in history, I believe, in Revelation chapter 3, read about it. Revelation 3, a Laodicea, that's the period we're in right now here in America. And I believe, again, that's a zumonia church. And that's... You can quote me, I, I invented it. That's like, I haven't had an original thought in my whole life. That, I had an original thought. I coined it Zumonia. Okay, then Jesus, he shared the promise. And he shared the promise of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Right? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God dwells within us. And that is one of the, the greatest privileges and honors that we can experience in this life as human beings. And then the the fourth thing that I looked at last week was Jesus, again, his challenge, abide in me. And he said, if you will abide in me, you will bear what? And then he said, you will not only bear fruit, but more fruit. And then he said, not only will you bear fruit and more fruit, then he said, you will bear much fruit. Right, you're going to become fruity, okay? We need fruity people in the church. (laughs) Fruitful people filled with the fruit of the Spirit, filled with the fruit of good works, filled with uh, the fruit of praise and the fruit that comes from our lips that brings life to other people instead of death. So, the fifth one is the guarantee. So, Jesus gives us a guarantee. This is, this is something, when, when you know, you know a, a company gives you a guarantee... Sometimes the guarantees aren't so guaranteeing. Jesus gives us a guarantee here, and you can count on it. I, w- I was talking to somebody this past week, and um, this is somebody who claims that they were walking with the Lord for years. And as I'm talking with them, they're, they're kind of like, they're expressing their doubts about Jesus and a- about the Word. 
And they're almost like trying to bait me into joining in with them. And I just, I I began to laugh because I want to tell you that my faith is so grounded and so solidified and so rooted in my relationship with Jesus and just the reality of his revelations to me on a daily basis and me experiencing him and seeing the fulfillment of what he said in the scriptures that are being fulfilled before my eyes every day in this world. Every day. I just see the, 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 the prophecy unraveling before my eyes in the world around us with things that, that are coming to us through people, coming out to us through media, coming you know, through, to, to us through the internet. And I just, I just laughed because my faith is just becoming stronger and stronger. The guarantees of Jesus... Right? His word you can count on. When he promises us something, it's going to be fulfilled. So he makes here a guarantee. Now the guarantee, it's a little bitter and a little sweet. It's got kind of a mixture of vinegar and honey in it. And here is the guarantee from John 16.33 from the Last Supper. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So he says that, that we can have what is called in the, in the Greek, Irene. In the Hebrew, it is shalom. Shalom, Irene, is a word where most people think of peace, right? I'm, I'm in a place of calm. Shalom, Irene, is, is a peace of mind, it is a peace of body, it is, it is a peace of, of spirit, it is to be at peace with God, it is really a great interpretation of the word, is, it is well-being. That we can have this amazing well-being in this life, of mind, of body, of spirit. Then he says, in the midst of that you will have thalipsis, you will have trouble. Pressure, translated anguish, persecution. Why do troubles come into our lives? Why do we experience tribulation? And I want to share, there are three things that Scripture tells us as to why we experience, what you call it, suffering, you can call it pain, you can call it difficulties, you can call it challenges, you can call it problems. One is that we reap what we sow. So Galatians 6, 7, for whatever a person sows, he also reaps. It's repeated over and over and over. Some people are really good at bringing trouble into their lives. Have you ever noticed that? Like just there, there's some people, it's like they just are continuously every day stepping in poop. It seems like it just follows them around. And they're basically creating, they're creating their own tribulation. They're creating their own troubles. Financial troubles, relational troubles, physical troubles, all kinds of troubles. Jack Poor, he used to be the host of The Tonight Show years ago, he said, if I could kick in the rear end the person who has caused me the most problems in my life, I wouldn't be able to sit down for a year. <laughs> and I, I, I'll tell you, I think that's true of me. 
that the, most of the troubles I've experienced in my life, it wasn't the devil. It wasn't my personal enemy. It was me. Just the, the, the bad decisions, the bad choices that, I, that I've made. Now, the book of Proverbs is filled. I read Proverbs every day, chapter a day. Chapter a day keeps a lot of tribulation away. It really does. And um, I read Proverbs every day, and Proverbs is just filled with, you know, wisdom. Wisdom, it's, it's the word is hachma in the Hebrew. It's practical knowledge. Practical knowledge. And uh, the benefits that come, that through hachma, through wisdom, comes health, comes peace, comes joy, comes relationships that become strong, success in your career, success in finances, security. All of these, these wonderful blessings that come through this, this thing called wisdom. And when you harness wisdom, you know what, see, you begin to sow things into your body, into your relationships, into your career, into your relationship with God, and you begin to reap good things. But when you're sowing bad seed, you reap bad things. So sometimes we are just experiencing, we're experiencing tribulation and trouble in our life, and it basically it's because we're sowing the wrong things. Second, second reason there's tribulation, 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walking and seeking whom he may devour. Right? We have an adversary, we have an enemy, his name is Satan, his name is the devil. And notice he seeks to devour us. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, The thief, right, that's Satan, does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and to have it more abundantly. Notice, he is a thief. He comes to steal. He wants to steal away your salvation. He wants to steal away your joy. He wants to steal away your peace. He comes to steal. He comes to kill. He wants, he wants to kill your body. <laughs> He wants to kill your soul. He wants to, to kill your spirit. And he, and he comes to destroy. And he wants to destroy. He wants to destroy the precious things, the gifts that God has given us in our life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your family. And he's active. And look, you don't need to be a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon to just look at the world and you see his destruction all around. He is the destroyer. My people, like, what amazes me, how many people I've met in the church, they look at the world as a playground. The world is not a playground. The world is a battleground. And we have an adversary. Let me tell you, he's He's diligent. Right? He's, he's there to meet us every day. He wants to destroy us. And when we are yielding to Him, when we are not obeying God, when we are not arming, uh, arming ourselves with the armor of God, right? He can bring a whole lot of trouble and tribulation into our lives. I'm going to tell you, I want to challenge you with something. I know we're called sheep. I don't want to be a sheep. I want to be a sheepdog. Okay? I'm, I'm really not, I'm not interested in developing sheep at living word. Never have been. God, God laid this on me 
not just to build a church filled with people who claim to be Christians, but to build a church filled with people who are disciples of Jesus Christ and true followers of him. But there's a time right now we need to be sheepdogs and not merely be sheep. I'm I'm going to do a series in the next few months. I'm going to spend probably a few months on it, on the armor of God, because I believe that right now, with where we are as a church in this world, we, need, we really need to understand the very armor of God. So again, second reason why we experience tribulation is because we have an enemy. Now, third reason is because we live in a fallen world. And again, there are things that happen to us that we have not directly brought on ourselves by sowing, and there are things that happen to us that are not always directly the, you know, the work of Satan. We, just, we live in a fallen world where there is bacteria, there are diseases, there are natural disasters, tornadoes, floods, hurricanes, cyclones, earthquakes. We live in a world... Have, have you noticed that right, this thing is decaying? Right? Now, man, let me tell you, I am, I work out, I eat really good, I get a good night's sleep, but no matter how hard I try, this thing is wasting away. It's wasting away day by day. But the inner man is being renewed in a really wonderful way. But what, right, it just, I used to have, I used to have hair, like, like, like Stalin, you know, I, I used to have, like, I used to have hair. Like Al Sharpton, you know, like, like, like when Al had hair, right? Just the right. They, 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 they were once. It was just like um, roving waves, and now it's a sandy beach. And you know, that's not because of my sin. That's not that. I don't think the devil made my hair fall out. But we live in a fallen world. And just, right, just sometimes just bad things happen. So in the, in the midst of that, in the midst of trial, in the midst of tribulation, what does Jesus say? You can have peace. I want to show you, this is, this is a, a famous portrait. It, it is basically a, I, th- I think it's called Peace in the Storm. And um, you see this, this storm raging in this, in this painting. I just want you to notice there's, there's one place where there's a little bird nestled away in the rocks. Can you see it? Peace in the storm, right? Here's an, uh, another. I'll make it a little bit bigger. Right, right there, right? Just we can have peace. And we, folks, we can. I don't know what you've experienced in your life in these last years. We have experienced tribulation. Okay, there has been some tribulation that has come into our lives, my family. And all I can tell you is in the midst of it, we have had shalom. We have had shalom. Or look at Paul, what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written... For your sake, we are killed all day long by tribulation. 
We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. We are victors through Jesus Christ in the midst of trials and tribulation. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Christ in Christ Jesus. No thing, right? No thing. Nothing, nothing, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ, right? That has come to us, right? That is peace in the midst of the storm. One day the storm will be over and then it will just be peace. <laughs> All right, second, the prayer. So Jesus prays in John 17, and I want to encourage you to read this this week and meditate on it, but Jesus prays for himself, then he prays for the apostles, and then he prays for us. Do you ever know that Jesus prayed a prayer for you and for me? And in John 17, 20 through 23, I'm going to look at the prayer. Okay, this is the third part of Jesus' prayer that he prayed for us. He says, I do not pray for these alone, meaning the apostles, but also for those who believe in me through their word, right? That's, I don't know about you, but that's me. I came to believe in Jesus through the word of the apostles, right? Matthew and Mark and Luke and right? the, uh, the apostles that are, you know, wrote in the scriptures, Paul. That they, now watch what he, what he prays here. He prays that they all may be one as you, Father, in me, and I am in you, that they also may be one, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Now, he's praying for us to be one. Why? What happens when we are one? Notice that the world may believe that you sent me. When the church is one, we are a force. When the church is divided, you know what we are? We are a farce. The world looks in at us and, and mocks us. But when we are one, we become, we become a force. So let me talk to you about this concept of, of being one. Philippians chapter 2, 1 and 2, it's a good little commentary. It says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Autos phronio. Autos phronio. By being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Basically, being like-minded, right? We're all different. Look around this place, very different church. Different colors, different cultures, different nationalities, different sexes. We're different. So he's not, he's not teaching here conformity. Okay, what he's teaching is this, this like-mindedness is essentially that we would have the same interest. And you all have different interests about different things, right? I have different interests than, than you. But there's one common interest I think that we all should have, and that is interest in what? In who? Each other. 
and Jesus in his word and doing his will and glorifying him and, and worshiping him and proclaiming the gospel to the world. So that this is not conformity. <laughs> I've been in churches where you have, you have conformity. Where everybody dresses the same. I mean, I just, I'm telling you, I went to churches, I thought I was in the twilight zone. I was waiting for Rod Sterling to come out and say, you are in the twilight zone. I don't know, some of you don't know what the twilight zone is. But I went to churches where everybody, right, they, they, they all dress the same. And churches, when I was preaching, when I started preaching years ago, all the men, right, you wore a suit or a jacket. All the women wore a dress. Uh, they always wore a flower and had their hair up. But that's just, that's, that's conformity. And you look at churches, and this, this is something that has always bothered me. You have white churches, black churches. You ever hear that? Well, that's a white church. That's a black church. That's a Spanish church. I look at the scriptures, and I see that we are, we are all called to be one in Jesus Christ. And I'm very, okay, look, look at the flags up behind you. Because there's about 75 different nationalities here this morning. 75. And look around, you see all the different shades, right? And I've been in churches where everybody's black. I've been in churches where everybody's Spanish, had an interpreter. I've been in churches where everybody is white. And I don't think that's, you know, it. Sometimes when we've traveled, we've gone to churches where, again, it's one color. Boy, I love coming back here, and I just love, I love seeing multicolor. Because I think that's really what, what, what the Lord intended. So he's not advocating conformity here where everybody is the same nationality or the same color, right? I mean, the church, a healthy church is made up of unique individual characters. Characters. You know when you say, that guy's a character? We have a lot of characters in this church. So it's, again, it's not conformity, right? It's that we share in Jesus. You know what? And I just want to say this to you. You look at a lot of churches with, with, with conformity where, um, again, everybody looks the same. Everybody dresses the same. And everybody claims, right? They, they just claim to believe the same. Yet they can't explain their beliefs. And they couldn't show you in Scripture, right, where the doctrine that they claim to believe is. All they're doing is parroting what the pastor says. So they don't think for themselves, right? They're not Bereans examining what's being said to see whether it's true or false. And we encourage you to do that. We, in, we encourage you to be, uh, Acts chapter 17, 11, a Berean because, right, they were more noble than the Thessalonians because when Paul was preaching, Paul the apostle was preaching and they checked to see if what he was teaching was true. That's what we encourage you to be. Go back and check to see if what's coming out of our pulpits coming from our teachers, coming from our Sunday school teachers to your children, to see if it's true. You have a response instead of sitting there again and just conforming, right? I'm just, I'm just going to. It's like sometimes the church, right? And, and we live in a society right now where it's all about conforming. You know, understand what woke. You look at woke. Woke was supposed to be that um, basically it recognized differences. And, and if that's not what it is. It's now you conform. You conform or we basically are going to cancel you. You conform. So there's no place for free thought, free thinking, comparing different ideologies and believing in what you believe in. 
And that, that again, that's like most, most churches. Most churches, I, mean, I was talking to a pastor and it was like, if they don't believe in pre-tribulation, we don't want them here. I mean, and I'm a pre-tribulationist. I'm going to be teaching it on Wednesday night. But he, you got to come. I, I started out, I was a post-tribulationist. Then I was a mid-tribulationist. Then I was a pre-wrath-tribulationist. Now I'm a, a pre-tribulationist. I think I've grown wiser to come to that place. But i got to tell you, boy, we need to have that freedom to be able to explore the Scriptures and come to a place where we have truly wrapped our hearts and minds around our beliefs and we can articulate instead of just sitting there and saying, yeah, yeah, this is what the church believes. But I, I, I don't know where it is in the Bible. This is what the pastor says, but I, I don't know where it is in the Bible. And that again, that's conformity. We, we need to be one and come to be one right in our interests. I want to I show you, this is a funny commercial. I've been in churches that are similar to this commercial. This goes back, it's a Wendy's commercial from the 1980s. Wendy's had such great commercials. And uh, I don't know if they're doing it anymore, but it's a mock on communism when Russia was completely communist. And uh, I want to share this. Can we have sound? This is, this is good. What, oh, what did I do? Uh, what happened here? I'm clicking on the window. and Up, oh, oh, there we go. Okay. I was clicking, but it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't coming up. Okay. Oh, I lost there. Let me come back. Pay attention, please. Thank you. It's next day there. Very nice. Having no choice is no fun. That's why at Wendy's, every hamburger isn't dressed the same. You'll get your choice of fresh toppings, fresh tomatoes, fresh lettuce, fresh onions, cheese, bacon, and more. Having a choice is better than not. Is next swim there. <laughs> That's, that's, that's communism. By the way, that, that's, being, that's being pushed on us here in America right now. But it's in churches. Again, you go, I, I've been to that church where everybody wears the same thing. Very nice. <laughs> so Jesus says that we should be one. But again, it's, it's not conformity. It's there should, we should be one in our interests with, you know, uniqueness. We're all unique individuals. We welcome you to be unique and come here to bring your cultures here, their nationalities, your own interests, and it's a beautiful thing, but we all share, right, that, that interest in the Lord. Now, watch one other thing that Jesus prayed here. He says, Father, I desire that they all say, also whom you gave me may be uh, with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given to me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, <clears throat> the world has not known you, 
But I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. I want you just to look, that they may behold his glory. How do we behold the glory of the Lord? Where do we see the glory of the Lord? In Yeshua. He is the glory of the Lord. His, his love, his grace, his holiness, his truth, his righteousness, his compassion, his mercy. And the ultimate place where we will truly experience the glory of the Lord, you see the glory of his sacrificial love as he hung on the cross and he died for us. Now watch, I want to I share this with you. We have an opportunity to experience the glory of the Lord. A day is coming when we will actually, he will impart his glory to us. And we will be glorified. Look at, look at 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Notice that we shall be like him. We're not going to be God. Okay, there's only, there's only one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. What it describes, though, is we shall, again, be like Him. We will have glorified bodies like His. This is an incredible thing, because He was able to move through space and time, yet still be able to eat. We will have glorified minds. No more of the confusion. No more of the, the wandering thoughts. You know what I'm talking about? No more of the... I mean, our minds can be all over the place. We will have minds that are steadfast on him and we will have glorified spirits where we will have perfect communion with God. We will be glorified. So right now, we're not in that, that place of glorification. That's something that is, is in the future for us. I want to... How many of you like Star Wars? Okay, look, at half the hands went up in the church. Do you remember, remember the, I think it's the first Star Wars where, where um, Obi-Wan Kenobi is having that laser battle with Darth Vader. And all of a sudden, Obi-Wan, he does this. He stops and, and he says, if you kill me, I will become something like, I'm paraphrasing. So if you're a Star Wars, oh, he misquoted Star Wars. He's, he's, a heret, he's a Star Wars heretic because I'm not a Star Wars buff. Okay, but I remember it as a kid, and, he, and, and it hit me. He stops and he says, if you kill me, you will make me more powerful, far beyond anything you could imagine. And I want, you to, I want you to think of that, because when we are glorified, we will become more powerful, we will become more glorious, so far beyond what we are right now. Again, just look at Jesus when he was glorified. And that's something he prays for us. That we would be able to taste that glory right now. We can, we can look on his glory. We can experience his glory by focusing on him. But we will be glorified and we will be glorified like him in the next life. So yesterday, Harriet Davis, one of the early founders of Living Word Community Church, she's up at Valley Hospital and Sue and I went up there and Harriet, Harriet's wonderful, she's like a mother, she's a mother to us, she's been a mother to many of you, Sunday school teacher here for years. And um, she said to us that I just want to go home to be with the Lord. So she's been in a lot of pain. She's got this lung disease. And she said, I'm sick of being stuck and prodded. And, you know, she, just, she wants to go home to be with the Lord. She's got strong faith. She's been a Christian since a kid. And um, I'm looking at her. And she's frail. But I'm looking and I'm thinking as I'm looking at her right now. Right, she's gonna, he's going to come. He's going to take her home. Right, if this is his will. And she is going to receive 
such an incredible power. She is going to be, I don't know, a million times more powerful, more incredible than she is right now. And again, that's what Jesus prayed for us. Okay, number seven, the establishing. Okay, Mark chapter 14, 22 through 24. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broken, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. So again, first he says, takes the bread, and he says, This is my body. He gave his body for us. His bones were not broken. The Passover lamb's bones were not broken. But his body was broken. It was pierced. He, he, was, he was wickedly scourged. I want to tell you, I was reading this this morning. Let me just go off. I'm going to go off content here. You saw what happened down in Memphis, Tennessee. And right, it's very difficult. And I was reading Mark chapter 15 this morning. And I thought, what they did to that man is what they did to Jesus. Men of power, right, the, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers beat Jesus to a total pulp. That's what they did to that, you know, to that poor man. I don't, I don't understand this. Sometimes people, when they are given power, right, they, they can become incredibly wicked and evil. And I pray for that, that man's family and his mother, and his, his father, stepfather, family, friends. Uh, but it's a very hard, hard thing to watch, you know, seeing that, you know, seeing that done. But um, Jesus gave his body and they broke it. They, they pierced it. Now, come back to the Passover Seder. We covered this last week. At the beginning of the Seder, he takes the afikomen, right, the bread, and he breaks it. And then he puts it into a napkin, and it's hidden. Likely John, the youngest, would have taken it and hidden it. Now he brings it back. And this is, I believe, when he institutes the breaking of bread and says, this is my body, they bring back the napkin, okay, they open it, and then they break it up and everybody eats of it. The bread was hidden in the napkin, okay? Jewish people celebrate this every year. What is that symbolic of? Hey, he was put in the tomb. And then on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And that, that is, I think, right at this moment when Jesus, again, he takes it out of the napkin he breaks it up, he gives it to them, and he says, now take this, eat this, this is my body. Then, at the end of the meal, you have the fourth cup, okay? Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it, and he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many, okay? This is the fourth, remember, there are four glasses of wine. This is the last glass, and he now takes it and he says, this is my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. So when we share communion, which we're going to do here in a few minutes, you hear me say this all the time. I, I quote from Leviticus chapter 17, 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for your souls. It's written about 1,400 years before Jesus came. Right? The life is in the blood. It's given on the altar of atonement, the altar of burnt offerings. That's symbolic of the cross. It's a typology of the cross. And again, to make atonement, to make a covering over your soul for your sin. So the life 
is in the blood. Follow me now, okay? Scientific evidence that there is life, right, in our flesh that comes essentially from the blood. There, there are over 100,000, listen to this, this is 100,000 miles of little minuscule blood vessels that basically carry the blood to every cell in your bodies. So, you know, just to, to imagine, you know when you're, shave, you're shaving and you cut yourself? Right, it's amazing how just a little cut on your skin bleeds, right? There are all these little microscopic blood vessels that go throughout your body that are basically bringing oxygen, nutrients, and carrying away the toxins, okay, from your cells. Now, the life is in the blood. In 1620, an English doctor named William Harvey found the circulation of blood pumped throughout the body by the heart and basically came out and made the claim that the blood preserves and supports life, transporting, again, nutrients and oxygen throughout the body. Have you ever heard of bloodletting? Bloodletting was, was done for thousands of years, and it was done only, only up until about 200 years ago in the United States. So if, if you got sick, guess who you would go to for bloodletting? That's right, you would go to the barber. And you know the barber's pole, notice the pole, it's the red and, and red and blue. And your barber would actually, these were the experts who would basically open you up and cause you to bleed out, thinking that it was going to cure you. So in, in a typical average human body, there's between about 140 and 160 ounces of blood. George Washington, our first president, got a cold. He was 67 years old. They took him to the barber. They bled him out for 125 ounces. And that's how he died. How have you ever heard that? But where's the life? The, the life is in the blood. By the way, your blood vessel is 100,000 miles. That goes around the earth four times. I thought I'd throw that little uh, tidbit in for you. So, so the, the life is in the blood. So the, the picture here, again, when Jesus bled, he was giving his life. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. It is by his blood that we receive forgiveness. It is by his blood that we receive redemption. It is by his blood that we receive pardon that we receive justification, that our sins are totally covered by the blood of the Lamb. But again, in the blood, that was his life. There's a beautiful ending, if you've ever read the, the book Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur was written by a, an English general who um, set out to disprove the resurrection. His name was uh, General uh, Cornwall, uh, Wallace, General Wallace. He actually, after researching the resurrection, he wrote the book Ben-Hur, which is the greatest story. It's the greatest Christian epic ever written. But um, at the end of the book and at the end of the movie, the picture is Jesus is on the cross. The rain is pouring down. His blood is coming down into puddles, and it's slowly flowing out. Have you ever seen the movie Ben-Hur with Charlton Heston? 
The blood is flowing out, and that's the picture. His blood is flowing out. His life is flowing out into all the world. It's flowing out over you today. Flowing out in people in Russia, in China, in the Ukraine, in South America. It's the, the blood of the Lord. That, that life, that forgiveness, that grace is flowing out to all who will come and receive it. Last point. Quick one. The last word. Mark chapter 14, 25-26. Assuredly I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. He says, I will not partake, okay, of the vine. He will not partake of the Passover until he enters into his kingdom. When does he enter into his kingdom? If you say, well, right after the resurrection or the ascension. He's talking about the kingdom, the millennial kingdom. Revelation chapter 20. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 40 through 47. Isaiah chapter 11. I mean, the, the, the millennial kingdom. It is when the Lord returns, right? When he returns in Revelation 19, he will establish an earthly kingdom of 1,000 years. It's 1,000 years Mentioned six times in the book of the Revelation, chapter 20. And he will establish his kingdom. Guess what we're going to be doing when he establishes his kingdom? We're going to be partaking in the Passover. How do I know that? Because that's what it tells us in Ezekiel 45, verse 21. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, you shall observe the Passover, a feast of seven days, unleavened bread shall be eaten. That's a millennial context. That's a millennial passage. So the, the Passover was a celebration of the Jews that ultimately really was finalized when they went through the Red Sea and God destroyed the Egyptians from pursuing them. Our fulfillment of our Passover through Jesus will occur when he comes back and Satan and his demons are locked up and we enter into the millennial kingdom in freedom. Now that's whether we are we have been you know we have been glorified whether we have been experienced the resurrection because I believe when the rapture happens we're going to be back here during the millennial and then those who populate the earth during the millennial kingdom okay they will be experienced but we will go hey let's go up to Jerusalem this could be this could be just a few years in the future let's go up to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover with Jesus <laughs> how cool is that right that's where he ends the Passover meal, the Last Supper, okay? So um, key things, right? Key, key takeaways here, right? I'm going to do this real quick. Hey, take up the basin and the towel. We're called to be servants. Take up and be a minister. Have the heart of a minister, right? It's, it's not volunteerism. It's having a heart of a servant. Koinonia, right? Not zoomonia, koinonia, entering into the lives of other people. It's a beautiful thing. You heard me just now speaking about Harriet. Harriet is a mom to us. You enter into relationships with people, and it's a beautiful thing. As we, as we care for each other, love each other, and sometimes we pass them off to Jesus, and that's a, that's a good thing. The promise, the fullness of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, He promises us that we can be temples of the living God. His challenge, abide in me, right? Abide in me and be fruitful. Right? His guarantee, hey, we're going to be in a world of tribulation, but we can have peace. His prayer for us is, right, that we would be one, right? One in interest, 
yet still very unique, and that we would experience His glory. And again, the establishment of the Lord's Supper, right? We do this in remembrance of Him, and we're renewed. We're renewed in His death. We're renewed in His resurrection and life. And then the last thing, right? We will enter into a millennial kingdom at some time in the future, whether with glorified bodies, resurrected bodies, or hopefully not in physical form because that meant that you went through the tribulation. But um, we will share in the Lord's Supper at that future time. Amen? Christ is our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed. So I'll ask the worship team to come up and I'm going to ask you to take your cup, take your bread. I hope that the messages over the past two weeks makes the Lord's Supper significant to you. And let me, let me just emphasize this to you too. Folks, you don't need to only share, you know, people come to us, wow, you only do the Lord's Supper once, once a month. And you know what, it's, it's likely next, uh, I've done it three times this month, and maybe next month we won't have it at all. But we usually celebrate it once a month and um, occasionally at you know, other times. You can have the Lord's Supper any time. It's not, it's not, you don't, you don't have to be an ordained elder to do the Lord's Supper. You can share the Lord's Supper at any time. You could, you, you sit down at dinner at night. You know what? You can break the bread and right there with your family have the Lord's Supper. And you, again, take the cup. And you, you can do that. It could be, it, you know, it could be something that there's, there's no rules. You know, there's no rules, Right? He just said, do this in remembrance of me. It's nice that we do this as a church together once a month, but we have the freedom to do it any time. I frequently have shared the Lord's Supper by myself. I just take some bread and, you know, and take a cup of, uh, of juice. And uh, I did that with, with the births of my children. My wife was up in the hospital with them when I came home. Rachel. <laughs> when she was born, I came home. And I just took the bread and the, and the cup. And sometimes I haven't even had grape juice. Take whatever juice. God will honor it in remembrance of me. So the Lord Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said to them all, Take this and eat this, for this is my body. He said, Do this in remembrance of me. And in remembrance of the body that the Lord laid down on the cross for us. A body that was broken, pierced, his hands, his feet, his side. We give you thanks and praise, Lord Jesus, for laying down your body for us. And we do this in remembrance of you. And then the Lord took the cup. He gave it to his disciples and he said to them, Take this, all of you. Drink this, for this is my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. And as you drink of the cup, drink in his life, because he gave his life. And maybe today you're here and you're saying, I need more life, right? This world kind of has a way of sucking it out of us. I need more of your life, more of that, that fervent, vital life, that love, that, that, that passion, that excellence, that joy, that peace. Let us all partake.
the altars are open if you'd like to come forward for prayer. And um, folks, as we did last week, I'll ask uh, the elders and deacons to come over here to the right if you'd like to be prayed for, for any sort of illness or sickness. God is making us healthier as a church. I see far more people coming here. Uh, so you have that opportunity. We have the elders over here and they will pray for you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Frank. What a great word from the word of God. Amen. God is so good.
So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you as you leave, we have, the, we have the fellowship in the Rock Center. Feel free to go in and have, some, you know, have something to eat, fellowship with each other. Just kind of be quiet, and um, there's a lot of prayer going up. There's people in need of healing, right? So uh, we just respect. We just respect that, what's going on. May God the Father, Son, and Spirit, who loves you dearly, you are His, you are His children, His sons and daughters. And you are privileged, for He has a great inheritance that awaits you. May God go with you all. May He protect you, provide for you. May He bless the work of your hands. And may He encompass your life with His shalom, that great well-being of God. May the Lord God be with you all. In Jesus' name, amen.